0: For those who are looking to start a business, take your time on the idea. I've only started two businesses, both have gone brilliantly or are going well. Both of them I took a long time to come up with the idea and didn't jump the gun for several opportunities that frankly probably would have been disasters. Just take your time and shortlist 50 or 100 ideas, and that's gonna be a way better use of your time than diving in and spending a year or two years on something that isn't going anywhere in the first place. I shortlisted 50 businesses, built 10 pitch decks. This was the winner.
1: Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance. Exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, F- Plan B How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello. Today I'm talking with and learning from Jamie Hamer. Jamie's the co founder of an insurance tech startup called Bolt Cover. Idea here is to take Apple care to independent retailers. So that's a business he's just started. He exited his previous business, React News in 2022. They became the Europe's largest paid real estate news service. He exited that in 2022. He's also had loads of other sales, sales leadership positions. And so we chat about that. We chat about building the startup. What type of people has he hired? What are his top tips for hiring salespeople? What does he look for when he's looking at a CV? How do you build a sales culture? his views on in the office versus remote. And we get into his background. He was selling books door to door and why he thinks really finding people who've done hard things is the key to finding exceptional sales talent. He reckons that with some psychometric testing and people who've done hard stuff, he can be a pretty much 100% guaranteed that he's going hire, to hire great salespeople. So it's fantastic to pick his brains and allow those of us who find sales hiring a challenge to get his nuggets of wisdom. I'm sure you'll enjoy the effervescent conversation I have with Jamie Hamer. Enjoy.
0: Hello, my name is Jamie Hamer. I am the CEO and co-founder of an insurance technology firm called Bolt Cover. Technology and insurance play that connects insurers to retailers and manufacturers and helps offer customers, sort of like Apple Care, but across different categories. We're working in furniture and bikes and eyewear and uh, helping people to protect and extend
1: the life of their products. So, how was there a gap in the market for this? Is there not more insurance than you can shake a stick at? It seems like every time I buy anything, it's like, don't you want this extra fifty quid's worth of stuff? Tick here.
0: Most of the major manufacturers, so your Currys, your Boots, your Amazon, are 100% doing that. Uh, the problem is that they, those sort of companies have scale, so they're able to access... You know the insurance companies directly or through a, a broker who's really interested in doing that business we're sort of bringing that to independent retailers so we're allowing high street bicycle stores and jewelers and opticians to have the same competitive advantages i mean you look at curries they're making almost 200 a year from their insurance product boot opticians making 50 million a year amazon making almost a billion just in the uk from selling insurance and there's no ability to compete with that if you're uh, an independent retailer since about 60% of the market is still in independent retail. We're helping to bring a scalable product uh, to level the playing field.
1: Fab. And how, how long have you been going? We have just turned 10 months old.
0: Uh, so we're in our infancy. Um, things do take a little while to, to launch an insurance. So it's, taking us, it's taken us a little while to get to this stage. But we're just launching our first category of furniture right now, online and in-store. So that's really exciting. And then we have bikes and eyewear lined up to follow very quickly.
1: Are you embedding it in their online store? You're embedding it in their physical store?
0: Yeah, both. So uh, the online journey will then have a, a checkout. So we plug in, we built a Shopify app, we built an API for, for other other platforms and it plugs in just below checkout and gives customers that option, which about they will take about 10% in most categories online. Or if you offer a free month of insurance, like we'll be doing in bikes, that can be higher. And then uh, in store, there'll be point of sale, staff will be trained on how to distribute insurance without without selling it. And then there'll be QR codes, which allow you to watch a video and understand what you're buying before you go ahead and buy it. So we're looking to bring a new level of transparency to, to the process.
1: And so you're solving the problem for the retailer, but are you solving the reach problem for the insurer? Was that, was they, did they have a problem not being able to go and find 100 bike stores to talk to?
0: Yeah, the, an insurance company would never do that, partially because of the the individual volumes aren't exciting to them, whereas the aggregated amount are. So we're we're providing the technology and the distribution, um, i.e. the sales engine, um, to to get it to retailers and manufacturers. So we're talking to a number of large manufacturers who will offer insurance when you take the product home, if you are so inclined.
1: What are your lessons for the last from the last ten months then?
0: Man, I
1: mean, <laughs> over and over every. <laughs> some, some, some success. What are some successes and failures, maybe? Yeah, no, completely. Um, I,
0: I, so, everything, in, to some extent, is a numbers game, right? I mean, we, we, we know that from, from having sales backgrounds, but that's equally true in an insurance and everything else you do. So, we have talked to over more than 25, 26 insurers now in total. We are integrating with three of them. The finding the first one was the real tough one, and then then as as you become in demand, much like fundraising you know when the first v c sees that you you know when you have your first term sheet suddenly you're you're much more exciting because you have some level of validation, and that's exactly what happened in this case like insurance is a tough beast, especially as a team of outsiders, like we all are. We've since hired an insurance person, but before that we as a team had no direct insurance experience so it was just hustle that made people take us seriously and realize we were going to be around for the long haul. There had been a couple of times in the last ten minutes when I when I've thought about giving it up because it's just such an uphill battle <laughs> to create. We're creating a four sided marketplace. Like we've chosen the most mental business idea possible. You've got <laughs> insurers and you've got claim now claim handlers who are separate than the insurers but handle the claims. You've got retailers and manufacturers. You've got customers. It's it, it is. Mental, and I could have just gone back and started another news service, like the last news service I found, it went really well. But why not do something that's way more complicated and complex, but also more satisfying? Has been kind of the continual mantra of the last ten months.
1: As as you pick yourself up again,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: Talking about sales background, what's what's your route to market? Are you have you built another sales team?
0: Yes. So one of the things I may mention a couple times in this interview is my sales origin was selling educational books door to door. Every year, about 3,000 students get to you know, go descend on Nashville, Tennessee. A lot of them have been told it's a great opportunity to run your own business in the United States of America. And then, sort of, wisening up over time that what it is is a door to door job as an independent contractor. And that's how I chose to spend my university summers. Now, I bring them up that up for a variety of reasons. I mean, it was quite important to the formation of, of some of my sales habits and beliefs, but also because the team I built here, much like the team I built at React News, my last venture, is heavy on people who've either done that or done something similar. People who've gone and done something really formational and hard that requires a high level of discipline, working 80 hours a week, living by your numbers. So yes, I built a team of three booksellers. Um, who are out there hustling and talking to, uh, to dozens of retailers every week.
1: I haven't done that, but in the past, I, certainly people who've done competitive swimming, same sort of thing, right? Because you have to get up at five o'clock in the morning, go to the pool, train on your own. Like if you can do that for years, you have that DNA that you're also looking for that you can put yourself through pain and misery for no apparent <laughs> For no apparent reward other than somebody said you should. Um, You kept going back to Nashville. Yeah, quieter. like you did it once, and you go, "That's brilliant." I learned a lot, but next summer, that was the best offer you had was to go back.
0: <laughs> I think it was kind of, It's kind of like you know that that run is high when you finish a marathon, which I admittedly haven't done. But um, right. you know, just, you know, <laughs> just, you know I just I just want to clarify that before I, uh, we try and go down that rabbit hole. But you know, just sort of that, you, your your mind remembers the the good stuff and not the bad stuff, and you're instantly showered with praise and a big incentive trip. Um, in our case, to the Gambia in in Africa, which is amazing, and your you, there was a awards ceremony. You're treated like an absolute hero if you've done well, and you take home a pretty big check for a student. So the average check size for people who finished the summer was twelve thousand USD. You know that's net of expenses. That's 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 all in or what you've earned over the summer. I did something near twice that my first summer, so I had real money for a student for three months of work and the ability to go out and recruit a team for the second summer, and that made it somehow worth all the. 80 hours a week and 30 rejections a day and cold showers we were encouraged to take. <laughs> so, and it's
1: yeah. it's interesting because I uh, it sounds like similar. I, I interviewed Cameron Herald, mm-hmm. who had done this summer painting. One year you're a painter, next year you're a team leader, then you're a manager. And so I guess it's that you know you're going back the next year and you're hiring a team and then then you're managing. You're getting so you're getting promoted. So not only are you you know you proved you could do it. Now you need to teach the people how to do it. Now you need to manage the people. So
0: yeah, well, it's, it's pretty crazy that me, uh, you know, irresponsible, mildly out of control, 20-year-old Jamie Hamer was allowed to manage anyone, let alone a team of fellow students I'd convinced that knocking door-to-door for the summer was, uh, was a good idea.
1: Recruit your team. Like, that, Does that mean you found the people and took them to Nashville? Like,
0: Not even against their will. They, they chose to do this as well. How,
1: how many people did you... Like, it's a pyramid scheme. How many people did you... Except it actually pays out. I, uh, how many people did you take to Nashville?
0: Uh, it has a product, Dom. If it has a product, then it's not a pyramid scheme. Um, uh, okay, right, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just a regular business where people manage other people and make money off <laughs> what those people are doing. Except in this case, we were all independent contractors. So yeah, I can see why the cynicism might creep in in that regard.
1: But the, <laughs> w- what were you selling, right? Because like 12, paying you $12,000 for three months effort, educational, like, what are you selling? And if you go back every year, how have you not run out of people to sell this shit to in Nashville?
0: Like, uh, so it was across the whole, entire United States. And they had right, a program okay. here in the UK for a little bit as well. And it was educational books you were selling door to door. You made a 40% margin of what you sold. So that, you know, 12,000 USD check was, was representative of you selling, how's my math, quote, 30 grand order books. What were they? Like kids' books? Kids' books right up to, to uh, early college or university.
1: Okay. And pre Amazon.
0: Yes. Yeah. Although, uh, no, not. I think. I think i sold in. My um, last summer it was twenty eleven. So that would have been been been. You know, when Amazon was getting big, and so the internet was the big objection. And you just had to handle that objection like anything else. Totally understand why you feel that way, Mrs. Jones. Completely get it. That's exactly what Sally was saying. And <laughs> until she realized that her kids found all this completely wrong stuff on the internet. And she really didn't want her, them spending hours on the internet trying to do their homework and getting distracted anyway. So what she found is when you just go to page 67 here and it gives you a step-by-step guide that, you know, Mrs. J- Mrs. Smith was saying really helped her to, to, uh, to do all this algebra that she had forgotten from 20 years ago. You see how this stuff was drilled into us to such a great oh, extent, yeah. it, it comes there. back it's relatively there. easy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so let's dive into the book because I think I think normally when I talk to people, they say they they have we were chatting before we were recording. The book has been very valuable to you, but not for, because you've sold it, I suppose. For other reasons. So like why did you write the book? What was the what's the genesis to the to the book? And then we'll go from there.
0: So, I think there were two things that drove me to write the book. One is I've just always had it on my goal list, been on my goal list for several years. So, you know, write a book. People who have sway and time honored wisdom to give, uh, write a book, right? And then I also thought there was a gap in the market for a guide to a young salesperson that I wish I had had. And actually, we talked before this, it's always a bad idea to start a business for something that you just you want. That's exactly what I did by writing this book. I said, yeah, it, unless other people want it as well, like it's just not going to be a good business. Um, so, the, the premise might have been slightly flawed because I was like, okay, well, if I were a really young salesperson who was sell door to door and pedicab, which I did before that, which is effectively a sales job in Edinburgh University, if I'm going to do those crazy things, I'd rather have more context, like B2B sales is great, and you make more money and you know all this, all this other you know. Things I wish I'd known about sales, which in retrospect would have made a much better title. Um, so maybe I should write that book. <laughs>
1: um, but you you went you went and interviewed a ton of salespeople that you admired. How did you how did you find how did you find these people?
0: The premise of the book was you know I realized I didn't have that much individual wisdom. I, I wrote a book of, of anecdotes from my sales career, um, which at that point was. You know, less than ten years long, and and it was cool. It was a nice short book, um, but I was like, no, I need to give us some gravitas. I need to give us some real wisdom. I'm going to go out and find the best salespeople I could. So a bunch of cold approaching, uh, a bunch of referrals asked for. It took me in some very interesting directions through sort of sales leaders, sales coaches, people running huge sales organizations, entrepreneurs, people who are well known in in Israel and the states, people in the charity sector. I just wanted to, you know complete smorgasbord of of everything you know cross section of sales that was out there. It's very heavily colored by people who have sold books door to door because that's where I had a lot of ins. (laughs) Uh, So I'd say, I think I calculated 47 of the 110 interviewees have had sold books or, or something else door to door as their foundation for sales. And so it's quite heavily, um, quite heavy in those principles. But at the same time, I just got connected to so many brilliant people, um, the majority of whom I'm still in touch with. So as a book, it's a good book. It's got one hundred lessons. It's a lot of lessons. It's quite dense. There's some great stuff in there. Uh, some of it from me, some of it from other people. As a networking tool, it was absolutely brilliant.
1: Huh? Can you put a figure on the value of that As a you know, there's some metrics attached to that? I mean, I know you know one hundred and ten great people, but has it been impactful in your business?
0: My previous business, my last head of sales um, and two other sales teams were 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 booksellers and were interviewed for the book as was the gentleman who's now my head of sales at this venture. Um, I obviously do a lot of selling myself because it's starting well, but it, you know, it's best nice to, nice to have someone else who could take responsibility for the figures as well. Um, I have made an investment in a U.S. solar company, which is a significant investment, which is worth, as of right now, about 10 times what I, what I made in it because I knew the people, because I'd interviewed from the book, them for the book, and because I knew they were brilliant. Um, and they just struck me as people I wanted to stay in touch with. So when this opportunity came up to invest, I did. So I can put a value on that if you'd like me to, but just. To yeah, say, no,
1: no, it's, I just, I just think that's, I, I think often people are listening to conversations I have with guests and they're thinking, oh, well, what would I do with this? And it's like, you know, I think people think, oh, I'll write a book. I'd have to sell the book. I'm going to make some money from selling a book. And it's like, no, actually there are a whole load of other reasons why you might want to write a book that might give you a whole load of different benefits than, than book sales.
0: Yeah, and I'm a big subscriber to sort of Dan Priestley and the whole idea that a book is a business card. You go to Dan Priestley's website; he gives away at least one, and maybe all three of his books for free, um, because he just thinks that the value he's going to get back through selling his sort of coaching programs and other sort of more holistic services will will justify that. I think in one of his books, he actually says, rather than buy someone a coffee, you could give them a book for about the same price nowadays. It's about four fifty a book if you publish in bulk. So which one's going to have more of an impact, right? A coffee you, you just do once or a, a book that's on some self right?
1: He reckons you should be giving away a thousand copies of your book a year. Wow.
0: I'm sure so, he is. And they're, they're great books.
1: They are. They're very good. They're very good. Let's talk about sales team building. You're in sales, so you have a distinct view that often when I'm working with tech firms, often the founder of that tech firm is not the salesperson. And I see time and again, those organizations try to hire sales, sales leaders. And maybe I talk to them and they've done it, they've failed to hire the right person three times because the founder's doing it. Founder's very good, very knowledgeable. And it's like, what to do next? So maybe there's, some, maybe there's some wisdom that you have about how do you go out and hire great salespeople? Now, now I know that your trick is if you haven't sold books door to door, you don't get an interview.
0: Or, um, or or being ex-military, or, or have ex-military, done, okay, or have, yeah, that was the sort of the other sizable bit of my team. Or have done something equally hard. Uh, Recruit a girl who worked, who grew up on a farm and was just Im- involved in the harvest every year for ninety hours a week. And I was like, okay, you know, that could win me over as being comparable to, you know, for a three-month period for selling door-to-door for eighty hours a week. She was our best salesperson.
1: <laughs> so come on, let's 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 you pick up a CV. I,
0: I don't think I don't I don't think you can learn anything from a CV. I mean, even if you're a good salesperson, then you can make your numbers look good on a page.
1: Well, I've got I've got I've got a thing for you, which is I think the good salespeople have their numbers on the CV. The number oh, of 100%. CVs I get from salespeople that have no numbers on, they immediately go in the bin.
0: Sorry, Dominic. I was I was assuming the CV had numbers. <laughs> that is, that is, that, that is table. Lots states. of them. Lots of them. <laughs> lots
1: of them don't have any quota numbers oh, on
0: at all. Well, that's that's just pointless. That's just a fundamental misunderstanding of sales. So, assuming they have numbers that I don't really understand because I don't really understand how their targets were, and you know, and whether they were shifted, and you know, whether they're you know even telling the truth. I am doing two things. One is I'm getting them an interview, and I'm getting them to talk through my CV, their CV, and I'm asking them questions like. Why did you leave the job? What was your worst point there? I'm looking to see if they're whining or complaining or anything like that. I'm then uh, I'm asking them, how did you get that job? And if they didn't get that job via referral or by following their previous manager or being picked up, especially if they had a few jobs. So obviously your grad job, you get it however the hell you you can. But you know if you're applying to things LinkedIn or first of all, I hope I found that person through them being a referral, right? Because that will give them a huge leg up. But if they found all of their jobs just randomly, then that's a pretty big yellow flag for me. Because really good salespeople are hard to employ because their old managers are trying to get them back desperately. right, so those are the kind of things I'm looking at. The other thing is I'm doing is I'm psychometric testing them a lot. I I have two major psychometrics I use as part of the interview (laughs) process. It's just anything that's subjective is never going to be as effective as anything that's objective. Because I might just like the person. What tests are you using? I'm using SHL. Well, I use a basic disk uh, as as sort of an entry level because it only takes five minutes. But then I'm using an hour and a half long SHL that that tests intellect, values, and motivations. And if that person is less than an 8 out of 10 on commercial acumen, then I'm probably not going to hire them because they shouldn't be in sales. Depending on the role, depending on whether it's long or short cycle, I might look for an 8 out of 10 of of hard work. But the most important thing for someone you're hiring for the long term because you want them to be on this team and future teams I's an eight out of ten plus on personal growth, and that's something I don't compromise on.
1: And how often, even if people are tick 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 tick, how often do they still not work out?
0: If they're tick- tick on their background that they've usually been hired by referral, if they are a referral to me or someone I know you know from from my network or from my extended network, if they are amazing on you know the disk profile we're looking for and then the SHL results. Um, and they've they've gone through three rounds of interview, then the only reason it wouldn't work out is because they don't want to work here or we can't agree on salary <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> or because some other someone else poaches them because they're probably I'd like to think pretty damn good by that point
1: fab and do you do you care about domain knowledge at all? because all of these things you've talked about really are you are assuming that their sales skills is evidenced by their previous scores but you think they can sell anything do you think do you think good sellers can sell anything no i don't
0: because that's where that's where intellect comes in and the ability to clock speed if you want to call it that the ability to learn things fast um, and then, you know, you, you don't have that same need if you are already a domain expert. So in my current job, and this is going to be controversial because I expect my sales team will hear this, yeah, I, can hire, I believe I can hire just about anyone because this is a hustle job. You can get your head around retail. You can sell something that's effectively free to the retailers uh, and makes the money. Um, if you just hustle. So this is more of a transactional sales. My last job at React News when we were starting, more of a transactional sales job, pretty easy to get your head around. You can start making calls from day one or day two, obviously with, with scripts, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not, you know, you can uh, understand the concept and answer objections about it fairly quickly. You know, Ben, our most recent hire here, made a, a sale. I got a commitment from a retailer in day three. Like, you know, it's a transactional sales job.
1: It's as opposed to being solution sales.
0: As opposed to being big ticket solution sales, which requires domain expertise. So either you need to be brilliant and able to pick it up fast, and the SHL test can tell that, or you need to have already been in the industry.
1: Okay. So top tip from you is that SHL test.
0: I really like it. It's quite hard to access. I use a specialist consultancy, um, but I'm sure smart people on this podcast, this podcast can educate me on a better and cheaper way to do it than I
1: do now. Or at the very least, they can ping you and ask you who their who your consultant is and go to them too.
0: Okay, perhaps. I think <laughs> she's at <that> capacity.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so maybe I'm teasing everyone, but I'm sure there's a way of getting hold of SHL tests.
1: Yes, I'm sure there is. I, I I'm sure we've I've done that in the past. I've used uh, firms in the US to do that for me. And what about building a culture? So you build bigger teams than the ones you have the one you have today. What how do you go from one person to 20 people? What's, how do you build a, a high performing sales culture that I guess is reinforcing? Three things.
0: One is to define what you want very early on. So we had some great and very actionable values at, at React News from previous venture. And then we have some, what I think are some very strong ones here. Our values are intentionally extreme. Like you know, right? Like, what, <laughs> so, are what are they? So we got we got it behind. We got overperformance, hyper collaboration, complete trustworthiness, extreme personal growth. Literally, the word extreme in it, right? So like if you <laughs> <laughs> like if you are not interested in those things, and those imply a certain level of dedication, hard work, immersion, certain willingness to be part of a startup culture where you really, really do work hard and throw yourself into it, then you know we intentionally want people to know this is not for everyone. So that's so bringing the right people in who have agreed to the values in advance. The second is expectation setting. So having an initial discussion with that person saying, look, I will always believe in you. I'll always trust in you. I'll make these commitments. I need these things from you back. I need you to be open with me. I need you to be proactive with me. I need you to live and breathe our values. Otherwise, you know, we're good. So creating the rules of the game. So it's very clear uh, when someone's outside of them. And the third way of reinforcing culture is hire via referral. So our team at React News, we built it up to a commercial team of 20 by the time I I, I left over uh, three and a bit years. Everybody but one person was a referral. So we only needed one external hire because we needed a French speaker and no one knew one who <laughs> was a good salesperson. So other than that, every single person came referred. And there's a great Gartner for HR study. I used to work at Gartner briefly during my, my corporate career that says that referrals in general are 40% more productive while they're with a the firm and last three times as long. So, if you are hiring any other way than referrals, in my mind, you're just not trying hard enough for your own network and you're being lazy.
1: Aha. Uh-huh. At Rackspace, we had about a third. Third were graduates, third were referrals. It was fab. I mean, we had, you know, I remember, I remember interviewing one guy and I said, why are you here? And he said, I just can't listen to him tell me how <laughs> fucking brilliant this company is anymore in the pub. <laughs> I have to come and join. So, That's at least, we, so I don't feel on the outside. It's like, Excellent. And how That's, did that person perform? They panned out really well. They were great. One of the things I would always look for is certainly at the graduates, like what are you passionate about? So, yeah, you know, to get passionate about this, you're going to be, have to be the type of person who can get passionate about something, right? It's unlikely you get passionate about this if there's nothing in your life that you have a passion about. So, what is it? And quite often they weren't on people's CVs. Yeah? you know, didn't people? You know, the worst one is where people put hobbies and leisure interests, socializing. I mean, really, that's just being alive. That's not actually a hobby <laughs> and an interest. I mean, but you know, this guy, this guy was a, this guy was a DJ, and uh, you know, had quite a, a solid, you know, passion for being a DJ. Or you know, we'd have ultra marathon runners. Or just, what, I, don't, I don't care what it is. It's just like, well, it's interesting to talk to you. So, oh God, you're interesting. Thank, you know, brilliant. I'll hire you because you're interesting.
0: And, and you know what? It ca- that interest can be a version of socializing, but it has to be commercial socializing. So, for example, Ben, who I referenced earlier, who's just joined the team, referral, bookman, exactly the kind of like great SHL profile, exactly the kind of hire I I wanted, tick, 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 tick. He chose us over a job that would have paid 50% more because one, we have a culture he likes, B, our equity was simpler, so that's probably something, um, and see uh, he really wanted to be out there talking to retailers every day rather than in a head office calling tech companies and selling um, a technical solution. So if you are that kind of person that likes commercial socializing, then maybe a more transactional sale is for you. And this is one of the big pieces of guidance I give to, to, to people in the book, uh, to young salespeople is choose where you want to be in that ticket size market right? Maybe you are someone who just loves hunting 5K tickets or 3K tickets or 10K tickets. Great. And you just want to be able to do a deal every other day and get that dopamine hit. Maybe that's you, in which case you can be an extreme hard worker and not necessarily a challenger salesperson like is required. But if you're maybe not that same velocity of speaking and intensity, and you prefer the longer strategic sale where you do build a bit more relationship, where you do require a certain amount of intellect, where, you know, then, then, Both can be extremely valuable. The big ticket sales can probably make you more money overall if you are so minded and equipped to go that route.
1: You do some sales coaching as well. Are you you coaching just transactional sellers or are you coaching the whole gamut of of sellers?
0: Given that I am working... Uh, sixty to seventy hours a week on my startup. I only have uh three coaching clients at the moment, all of whom are business leaders who I have invested in their business for. Uh, because I would, I, I'm not interested in coaching someone who I wouldn't invest in, if that makes sense. And I've actually put my money where my mouth is in in all three of these cases. So I want to coach uh business leaders. One's a U.S. solar company. One's a big ticket uh technical solution onto a small ticket technical solution so i i have done all of those different things whether it's transactional sales um small ticket and and large ticket sales and so um what i'm coaching them on more than anything else is not anything technical at all it's accountability motivation self-talk so i'm, I'm actually kind of more giving them an hour where i could they can just be listened to and i can ask questions and maybe make a few suggestions when i'm sure but mostly just help them to figure their own their, their own problems out because they know the answer they just need someone to ask the right questions and help tease it out of them
1: do you have a framework around the self talk or do you have a books you've read or what's the so i
0: work with a coaching organization that is the coaching organization that spun out of the book selling organization so it's Southwestern coaching. I'll be going to Nashville on Monday for a week of coach <laughs> training there. I can't get enough. <laughs> so I, I taught, it, it is important that you know that, that story because it okay. it's persisted yeah, yeah. with me. So i get to going to get to go spend a week with 150 high energy, like passionate, fun coaches uh, and get completely recharged. Then I'm going to take a lot of those learnings and come back here and work with my few clients and my sales team here and be re-energized and sell a hell of a lot of insurance.
1: <laughs> I can imagine some British people listening, thinking, oh God, I'm exhausted already. <laughs> Just thinking about going to Nashville with 150 there's people There's a I high five
0: hallway <laughs> to forget. <begin>. They're blasting <laughs> rock music. And then we have to go through this gauntlet <laughs> of like 50 high fives <laughs> on each side. So if they're uh, not exhausted, they exhausted before, they will be now. But I will say that they're. The conference they put on, the global summits, are an amazing template for how you should run a a sales kickoff. Like high energy, scripted to the minute. Um, you know, everyone's very clear on what they're going to say. The messages all fit together. Um, incredibly high quality of presentation. Getting junior people involved in the presenting as well as senior people, and having amazing keynotes. I mean, it's it's uh, pretty inspiring stuff.
1: So that's the methodology for that around self talk. They have a they have a framework that you use.
0: They do. So, for example, I have my—I've actually. What fell off my desk earlier uh, was my list of (laughs) (laughs) affirmations that I study for five minutes every morning as part of my miracle mornings. Um, Right. And uh, and so you know, it's very specific on how to write affirmations and the way to think about those and when to use them and to bucket them into. Okay, I'm feeling this way. I'm going to use these affirmations. Call reluctance affirmations, which I still get all the time. Uh, I'm mostly on this podcast to avoid making cold calls. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, uh, well, uh, well uh, Mr. Dixon, who wrote Challenge of Sale, yes. uh, I, I interviewed him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Oh. And we got, we got to about an hour and I said, are you okay? And he said, Dom, you are stopping me writing my next book. It's fine. I have all day. <laughs> so yeah, no, I had a great conversation with Mark. Putting a value on that self-talk if you think about the people that you're coaching who are obviously already successful, is it an extra five percent? Is it giving people an extra hour a day of useful time? Or what's the sort of leverage you reckon?
0: I would say the biggest value is I mean, there are there are enormous productivity gains. I would I, I would struggle to put a value on it. I'd probably put it on on somewhere around 10%, 20%, which is but you know, I've always thought the, the difference between um if they're at the same stage of their career and the same level of knowledge, I think 20% is about the difference you'd expect from a, a really good rep versus an average rep. And, and a lot of that is to do with their proactivity and their attitude towards it. And, but I, I would say the bigger value is just that it makes you happier. If you believe in yourself and you uh, are saying the right things to yourself and you're being your own biggest cheerleader versus dragging yourself down, as, as most people do, then you're just going to have a better life. You just, you just are. You're just gonna, you know, you are, you, you are correcting the biggest mistake that that you could be making, um, and you are turning yourself into a, uh, into from a what potentially a downward spiral into a virtuous cycle. Um, and I just don't think you can put a value on that.
1: You said you've got uh, your core reluctance affirmations. Could you share those?
0: Yeah. So uh, I, 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 I often say I am a love cat which is from, book. Uh, uh, well, it's, it, I think it's important. And first of all, I just love the term love cat. I'm trying to remember which <laughs>
1: book it's from. Ah,
0: uh, it's called the, um, the War of Art, I think, anyway. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's, uh, it, uh, you know, I just love that affirmation because it reminds me that my job on, in making a call to someone is to add value to them. And if I, even if it's not the right solution for them, one way I can add value is just by being awesome. And just by being like, hey, rather than being like, hey, Jamie from Bulk Cover, like, hey, like, have you been? Like, this is Jamie from Bulk Cover. I, I'm not sure if this is for you or not, but I'm really excited to tell you about this. <laughs> like, <laughs> and just injecting some energy into their day. So that's a big one for me. I often love telling myself, like, I'm a titan of industry. And therefore, this is like, you know, this is just like the table stakes to get there. Um, I'm a calling machine. I add value with every dial I make. I am, uh, I'm here to serve and to add value to every person I talk to today. And those kind of things just both simultaneously calm me down and focus me and make all of this so much easier. Just your, you know, that, that number that's, that's just staring you in the face because you don't want to dial it. Yeah. And do you not like it or you like it? It really depends, depends on my attitude. Okay. Most of the time, I still don't like it. And those first few calls are incredibly hard. When you gather momentum and when you help yourself by using positive affirmations, it can be really fun. And when you're doing it together with other people. So we had the three of us here yesterday,
1: yeah. Sales team, would you build a fully remote sales team or would you have all of you in the office?
0: If I had the choice, everyone in the office, but I, I increasingly- Every day? If the number one goal was to maximize productivity, then yes.
1: I'm I'm with you. I think it's the same. I think because I think I you know, if you're having a shitty day, you just if you're having a shitty day on your own, you just assume that everybody else is having a shitty day, you're in an office and the other people are not having a shitty day. It's really hard to be miserable with other people who are not miserable.
0: There's a there's an amazing um uh, office leasing agency in London that I'm familiar with from my previous venture, which was a real estate news venture. And they put their money where their mouth is. And the second they came out of COVID, they had everyone back in the office five days a week when no one was, right? No one was doing this. And they said, we are office leasing agents. If we don't put our own money where our mouth is we and be in the office, we're not doing our job. They've gone from a startup to the largest and most successful and most respected office leasing agent in the whole of uh, London and therefore the UK. Within the four years since they launched. And that's just a testament to if it's, if it's a sales organization, it's what office leasing is get everyone in all the time, you'll have the most productivity. The sacrifice you then make is that's not for everyone. And it's going to be t- tougher to find people who do want to do that. But yeah, I mean, I think the productivity gains are probably worth it if you chose to go that route. Um, I haven't gone that route, but I have had to pick my people very carefully to know they are self starters as a result. And I'd be very nervous about being a grad in unless they were here at least four days a week.
1: It's, it's impossible. Like, they, they don't know anything and you're not going to learn anything at home on your own. Yeah, tough. Tough for them as well, just to not get that feedback. So what have you done? You're, how many days a week are you in the office then?
0: We're in my home, which is our office. So I'm in the office every day. Um, my, my business partner, Tori, who's sitting here with me, is here four days a week on average. Um, I head a sales of Steve's is in here two days a week Ben our new salesperson is based in York George our new uh salesperson is based in Gloucestershire um comes in once a week so it, it varies and I think I think actually it, it is important to make the distinction that it, it should vary by function George is much more productive when he works from home he's an introvert compliance like great just we, we you know that's what we need him to do and he's brilliant at it Ben is an extroverted salesperson so he has an office of other salespeople in York that he gets together with, who also don't have bases, and they all get together in a co-working space and keep each other accountable and motivated. Yeah, it's salespeople specifically that we're talking about here that I think could use as much FaceTime and particularly accountability as possible.
1: You don't have any introvert salespeople then?
0: Good question. We don't currently in this company. I have seen some very successful introverted salespeople and, and, and uh, Tories worked in sales, for example. Um, What I would say is, what I've noticed is, it depends on the product you're selling and who you're selling it to. If the people you're selling to are introverts, then you're well suited to have introvert salespeople. If the people you're selling to are typically extroverted, then the (laughs) same. Likes like likes. Yes, because
1: I just imagine, I just in my mind of you, me picking the phone up as an introvert and getting you on the other end of it. It's just like (laughs) just. Quietly put it down and hope you never bring me back.
0: (laughs) Dom, I'm I'm, I'm trying to adapt to our audience here, not to you specifically. I'd be (laughs) be much more uh, calm and relaxed (laughs) (laughs) if it were just the two of us.
1: Excellent. Jamie, what is it you know now that you wish you'd known earlier? For those who
0: are looking to start a business, take your time on the idea. I've only started two businesses both are, have gone brilliantly or are going well both of them I took a long time to come up with the idea and didn't jump the gun for several other opportunities that frankly probably would have been disasters so we talked earlier at the beginning of the podcast or before before we went off about you know businesses that succeed and don't if you're thinking about what I would want Like, I just had a a, a, a friend approach me about uh, a Google that gives to charity. Like, great. Okay. You want that. Does everyone want that? Like, is there a gap in the market? Are people going to pay for that in some way? What's the revenue model? Like, just take your time and shortlist 50 or 100 ideas. And that's going to be a way better use of your time than diving in and spending a year or two years on something that isn't going anywhere in the first place. So I waited until I was being asked over and over and over again while working for a debt news service about real estate news. Until that happened like 12 times, I was like, you know, I was suddenly I was like, okay, there is a gap in the market here. Bloomberg isn't doing it. Thomson Reuters isn't doing it. The accurate Group where I was wasn't doing it. There's an opportunity. And for this one, I shortlisted over 50 business ideas before coming to this one and having an insurance company approach us about it and blah, blah, blah. So, so waited for the right opportunity to come because you can spend a lot of your life on a bad idea if you don't, if you rush into it.
1: And what did you have to do to validate this is the right idea? Mm-hmm.
0: The combination of financial modeling, user interviews, research on American fundraising trends. It's a, a great way to start a business to see whether there is an equivalent business that's killing it in the US, because so many of those haven't made it to Europe for one reason or another. And that's a really obvious business plan that has been successfully copied. But there's you know, dozens of new sectors popping up all the time when that should be possible. So yeah, a combination of, of looking at other businesses that have been successful doing research on competition what i like to do is i like to build a full pitch deck for my top 10 ideas and that really focuses the mind because in in building a pitch deck you need to look at competition you need to look at revenue model you need to look at what your financial projections would be who you need what what you need to start this business and that'll give you a really concrete idea especially showing other people this deck you know people who build businesses investors whether or not this is a go or not so i shortlisted 50 businesses i built 10 pitch decks this was the winner
1: aha okay very good what books other than Exceptional Sales Career, which people should rush to Amazon and buy now, what else should people read?
0: I have shortlisted. I had the challenge of sale on there, but that's been well covered. Um, I just love big books that sympathize lots of data. I find that really sexy. Um, have you read this new one, Jolt Effect? Yes. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I bought it for the team as well. It makes a lot of sense when I think about some of the stalled, complex, big-ticket deals. And just what what's needed to to pay the path that deal actually
1: closing. I mean, even in your space, the that whole how do you reduce the risk of the next step must be still equally applicable in a transactional.
0: Only in big game hunting, I think, which we haven't done enough of yet. We'll get there. A lot of ours have been smaller independent retailers, single decision makers. Yes, I want to make more money. Great, simple. Uh, but as we as we do go into those those bigger behemoths that don't have insurance yet, we'll we'll be jolting. From Impossible to Inevitable, wonderful book. The thing that I took away from that uh, the most is the different kind of sales leadership you need at different stages of the business. Very data-driven book on how to build a sales team, how to look at sales leadership and how to to metric salespeople. It's sort of an all-inclusive, all-encompassing guide. And I just loved the fact that You go from a sole salesperson who needs to be a doer. So we talked about how the first hire is often a disaster. You need a doer for the first hire. You don't need a head of sales. You don't need a sales manager. There's no one to manage. Like you just need someone who executes. And then the second person being a a, a, a hybrid sales manager versus not, third person being a pure sales manager, fourth person being sort of a leader inspirer. Then by the time you're a hundred people, you literally need an Excel manager. And I saw that at Green Street, the last company I was at, someone who's just really good at knowing which levers to pull, not particularly involved with the people, just, you know, a little bit ivory tower, spreadsheet, cool, this is what we need to do. You need that to get from 80 to 120 million. And that suddenly clicked in my head, right, okay. I don't love that side of leadership myself. It's never going to be me, but it's what the company did at the time. So that was a real sort of challenger moment for me.
1: Very good. Any, anything else?
0: Um, I love the Go-Giver series. Uh, this is Bob Berg and, and John David Mann. There's uh, Go-Giver, Go-Giver leader. It's just a series of... Um, stories that I go back to and find really inspiring because it's in a story format, because it's short and easily digestible, just to remind me to stay humble and focused and
1: other-ish. Jamie, that's absolutely brilliant. It's been exhausting
0: <laughs> and entertaining. Please, please, thank- go, please go have a bath, Donnie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can't have a drink. All right, excellent. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much indeed for coming on.
0: All right, pleasure. Great
1: meeting you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did.